0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus the Liberating King and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for worship. Would you uh, join me in prayer as we enter into this time together? God, we come together today across distances, but worshiping in a chorus of voices. We long to be with you like we long for the sun to break through and a new day to begin, full of your mercy and bathed in your love's light. We honor and praise you as we seek rest and refuge in your word, which is ever present. Guard our hearts and our minds from fear and cynicism that we may be thankful and praise you in all things and at all times. May you be glorified in our comings and goings and in our staying home. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen.
0: Your love is real my sanity Sweet Jesus Christ my clarity Bread of heaven
2: Ecclesia, even in this challenging season, we continue to be committed to the work that God calls us, sharing the gospel, caring for the vulnerable in our city and beyond, caring well, especially for our children. As we consider our part in that offering, please speak this prayer along with me. Almighty God, we long to love you and one another as you love us. Fill us with continued worship and gratitude to sustain us in uncertain times. Help our thoughts to be holy and our hearts to remain generous as you free us from all anxiety and fear of scarcity. We seek each day to place our renewed trust in you, reminded that even in the seeming desert, your banquet table is set for feasting. Through this humble offering of our family, and in all things may you be glorified, amen.
3: Hello Ecclesia family, so good to be gathered with you wherever you are across the globe or across the city. Just wanted to take a few moments and give you some updates on some things that we have coming up. And we wanted to let you know that uh, we are paying attention to the latest updates from our city officials and trying to keep up to date on what's the best thing to do. And so I wanted to let you know about what our plans are currently. These could change, it's 2020. Um, But here's where we're going moving forward and we're absolutely weighing that tension of what does it look like to create some sacred experiences and what does it look like to be safe and responsible. And we wanna do both of those really well. So I want to make sure that you know that we are planning to continue with our outdoor Eucharist experience at the west side on Sundays. We scaled back a few of the things that we're doing to continue to make that as safe as possible. It's going to be outside, that's been the plan all along, but we have reduced some of the capacity so that we can ensure to create enough space between chairs and enough space between designated safe zones on the grass so that you know when you come that you will be absolutely safe. And we're going to drop those communion elements in those places ahead of time so that once you're there, you don't have to move around. You can be present with your family, the folks that came with you in your car. You can enjoy a great sacred experience on our beautiful West Side campus. You can find the info to that at EcclesiaHouston.org and look for Outdoor Eucharist. You can sign up there. We would love to see you there in a safe outdoor environment. Next. We've got some things coming up in Advent and we are so excited about Advent. We love the chance to celebrate Jesus' birth and anticipate his coming and to consider what that looks like for us to celebrate Jesus well in a way that blesses and impacts so many brothers and sisters in, in Houston and across the globe that are desperately in need. So one of the things that we do is we have a day after Thanksgiving feast, and we're gonna continue to, provi- to provide meals for our homeless brothers and sisters. And we really want to make sure that we give them some gifts. You know it's getting cold. They need things like warm socks. They need some blankets. They need toiletry items like shampoo and toothpaste. And you can donate those so that we can safely distribute those along with a meal in a way that doesn't mean that they have to gather, but we can still provide some food. So the donation times, you can drop them off at our downtown campus on Mondays at 1100 Elder from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you can drop it off at our West Side campus uh, on Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. as well. And if you have any questions about day after Thanksgiving feasts or donations, you can email manual at EcclesiaHouston.org. And next, I wanna tell you about, again, my favorite event that we do every year here at Ecclesia, and that's turning wine into water. That is Thursday, December 10th. Tickets are available now, and you can get those at EcclesiaHouston.org advent. I told you last week, this is my favorite event. You don't wanna miss this. This is a chance for us to enjoy and uh, raise a really good glass of wine or some glasses of wine, and to raise awareness for those who may not know about how clean water significantly blesses and and increases the quality of life for so many people across the globe it's an amazing opportunity to do that together so grateful to get to do that want to make sure that you know what's coming so we have some great partners with our friends in israel at tulip winery that's an amazing organization they have beautiful fantastic wines can't wait to get to share those with you this year We're going to offer a charcuterie class where you can learn more about what it looks like to put that together. We are making some amazing handmade desserts uh, for you. We want to get those to you uh, and you don't want to miss out on that. So here's the deal. For us to be able to deliver those or designate a really good pickup time, you have to register for this event no later than December 7th. So tickets are available now. Please go to EcclesiaHouston.org advent so that you can be a part of this event. We want you to be there. It's amazing. You don't wanna miss it. And then lastly, Ecclesia, just wanted to invite you in that moment where we pause and we welcome our dear brother, teaching pastor Sean Palmer, as he opens up God's word and he shares a message directly to us. And my prayer for you is that wherever you are, that you hear and sense God speaking directly into your soul, that this is a time where he ministers directly to you and does what only God can do. May you feel his presence, may you receive his peace and his forgiveness and his love. We love you, Ecclesia. God bless.
4: Hello, Ecclesia. Uh, This last week has been kind of surreal for me. My oldest daughter turned 17 years old. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sean, you are much too hip and cool and good looking to have a 17 year old. Uh, But it is true, she turned 17. And she is looking toward her future and everything looks really bright and she's excited about it. As a matter of fact, she has this app on her phone that counts down the days until she graduates high school. And she reminds us every now and then when she's upset with us about something like having to do a chore around the house of exactly how many days she's got left. And I'm just sitting there thinking, how can you be 17 already? Like, you're, you're my baby. And I remember when we brought you home from Park Plaza Hospital. I remember so many beautiful moments from when you were little. And if you've got little kids at home, it probably doesn't dawn on you, but man, the time goes so fast and you know that it's going fast. You just, you just can't stop it. And so I was thinking this week as she was experiencing her birthday about some of the things that she liked when she was a kid. And when our girls were young, we didn't have a lot of rules about which of the little kid shows that they could watch. We did have rules about how much they could watch. And one of her favorites was Blue's Clues. Like some of you have seen Blue's Clues. And when she was little, Blue, the dog, and his owner, Steve, they would get these letters in the mail. And it was so exciting when they got a letter and there was this little song, we just got a letter, we just got a letter, we just got a letter. I wonder who it's from. And like that was all the rage, right? But now on Blues Clues, they got this little substitute Steve, this little secondhand store Steve, I don't even know his name. And they don't get letters anymore. They get email. I get hundreds of email a day. That's no fun. Getting a letter is fun. And things have changed so much. Like Elmo apparently now has a cell phone. And when he wants to know something, they just look it up on his cell phone. It's like smarty. Like this is not fun at all. But these are the shows they loved and they loved Dora the Explorer. My daughters love Dora. When Kate came along, because her sister loved Dora so much, she decided not to love Dora that much. So she liked Dora's cousin, Diego. Dora had a backpack. Diego had a action pack. And we let them watch those shows within reasons. They had time limits, but we did have one rule. There was one show that they could never watch caillou have you seen this little bratty whiny bald-headed toddler caillou he is the worst kid ever and he was so whiny we would let them watch like the first 30 seconds of caillou because it kind of had a hidden like intro theme song and then we'd turn it off because he whined all the time, and I could not stand it. And Caillou would whine and whine and whine until what? Until someone else solved his problems. Now, if you know me, if you know my wife, Rochelle, you know that we are not the kind of people who are the least bit interested in training our children to have other people solve their problems. As a matter of fact, we were both raised this way. Um, before my wife could get her driver's license, her dad made sure that she did several things. One, she had to go through a pretty intensive driver's ed course, but she also had to know how to jumpstart a battery. She had to know how to change a tire. And after she did all of that, then she could get her driver's license because he wanted her to be in a position when she was on the road that she could take care of her own problems. And a matter of fact, they told her as she was growing up that she wanted to be in a position in life where she wouldn't have to rely on a man or a husband to take care of her, to position herself in the world where she could handle herself. And that's just really important to our family And it's probably really important to a lot of you, but we all know that something else is true too, right? That there are some problems, some world problems that are just too big for any one person to solve, that you need help, that we need help in solving big problems. We need someone else to intervene, like poverty. Like, that's not a problem that one person can solve on their own. Racial division, sex trafficking, clean water, political partisanship, which is different from having differences of opinion on policy. Partisanship takes those differences of opinion and adds animosity to it. Like we can't solve that on our own. And so what that means is that we have a world, we live in a world, we live in a culture where a lot of us are really looking for someone else to save us, or at least to help. And sometimes that's really good. Like sometimes you need to go to a therapist, you need to go to a doctor, you need to see a spiritual director. But there are other ways where we've just become so accustomed to waiting for a savior, maybe someone with a cape or the right idea or the right amount of money to kind of come and save us. Some of us think that finding a husband, a wife will save us. Some of us think when we finally have enough money, that'll save us. If we have the right politicians, the right party, That'll save us. Some of us think that James Harden will save us, and he won't. We want someone to come save us. And we're not actually the first people in history to want that. If you were walking around Jerusalem in AD 27, living there in that place, you would say that Judea was in shambles. The Romans were occupying all of your world and they appointed an unpopular governor. His name was Herod. And when he was gone, his sons took over and another son took over. The religious system itself had become corrupt. The high priest wasn't from the Levitical line like he was supposed to be, but he was a political appointee of the Romans. The exile that Jews experienced way back in 500s AD? Well, for them, like that was still going on and they wanted wanted their land back. They wanted their country back. As a matter of fact, when you open your Bibles and you read the First Testament, So much of that is about the Jews wanting their land back, hoping and wishing and looking for someone to come and save them. And the predicament that they were in, no one person could fix that on their own. They were looking for a savior to enter into their story and to bring about God's desired change. They were looking for a Messiah. They needed a Messiah. Even Jesus' disciples were looking for a Messiah. I want you to hear this conversation Jesus has with one of his disciples, Peter, in Matthew 16. Jesus asked him, he says, who do people say that I am? The disciples, they say, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Jesus asks, "And you, who who do you say that I am?" Peter pops up, says, "You are the Anointed One. You are the Son of the Living God." And Jesus looks at Peter. He says, "Simon, son of Jonah—that's Peter's other name. Your knowledge is a mark." Of a blessing for you didn't learn this truth from your friends or from teachers or from sages you've met along the way you learned it from my father in heaven this is why i have called you peter the rock for on this rock i will build my church the church will reign triumphant even at the gates of hell well that's a good moment for peter because in The scriptures, Peter doesn't have a lot of good moments. Is Peter right? Well, if if you've read the Bible, you know that Peter does get a lot of stuff wrong, but right here, he is dead on. He nails it. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that they have been waiting for. Which is why Jesus' response to Peter is so odd. Listen how Matthew tells the story. He says, and Jesus ordered his disciples to keep these teachings secret. Jesus says, you must tell no one that I am the anointed. So in your translation, it might say the word Messiah that Jesus tells his disciples to tell no one that he is the Messiah. He doesn't want anyone to know because the Messiah, that's a big deal. The Messiah is God's anointed who would restore God's rule, not only to Jerusalem, but all over the world. And this is what theologians call the messianic secret, that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, that he is truly the Messiah, but he tells them, let's keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody. And there's a reason because in the ancient world, there were many theories about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. But there was general agreement that the Messiah would come through. And when the Messiah came, that he would lead a revolt against all the powers that be. When the kingdom came, it would be through revolution. Matter of fact, 30 years before Jesus, there was a Jewish man named Judas the Galilean and he started an uprising. He gathered forces and they rose up against Herod. But guess what? It didn't work. Herod's forces came together. They chased Judas and his men out of their holes in the ground and from the caves that they were hiding in. This is the Judas that's referred to in Acts 4 when the Pharisees are basically like, we get a lot of messiahs. Let's see how this Jesus guy plays out. So when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, he is invoking all of those expectations about what a messiah would do. Jesus is supposed to be the one who brings about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who's gonna inaugurate God's rule and reign throughout the world. Jesus will be the leader who lights the fires of revolution, of a revolt. He's gonna purify Jerusalem. And Jesus is quick to tell Peter, hey, yeah, I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anyone. As a matter of fact, Let's not use the M word and listen to what Matthew says next. Matthew says, then Jesus began to tell the disciples about what would happen to him. He said he would have to go to Jerusalem. There the elders, chief priests and scribes would meet him. He would suffer at their hands and he would be killed. But three days later, he would be raised to new Life. If you're a disciple and you're hearing Jesus, what is Jesus talking about? This is ludicrous because you know what? Saviors don't suffer. Deliverers don't die. And I know what you're thinking. Like, you've read the Bible, you know how this story ends, and you're thinking all of the suffering Savior stuff from Isaiah, and you've been around the scriptures, and you're just like, oh, those, those disciples, they just don't get it. They're always missing it. Of course, this is how Jesus is going to do everything. Really? Are you so much better, smarter than Peter and the disciples? Just slow down for a moment. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that saviors can suffer? When you think about the women or the men that you want to lead you to head up the team at work, to give all of the vision and direction, when you think about government officials that you want empowered, how many of us actually are looking for someone to conquer rather than looking for someone to suffer? A lot of us can't even go on social media without trying to find someone to conquer. We're not, we're not down with suffering. How many of us believe that a leader who defeats his enemies is better than a leader who dies for his enemies. So what Peter believes. Have you been looking for a Messiah more than Peter? Do you understand the Messiah more than Peter? No one goes out looking to be led by a loser. Look what Matthew says next. He says, as Jesus spoke of the things to come, Peter took him aside, sad and confused and maybe a little bit prideful. Peter chastised Jesus. Peter says, no, Lord, never. These things that you are saying, they will never happen to you. Peter actually rebukes Jesus for what Jesus says the Messiah is going to do. He says, Lord, this will never happen to you. This is not the job description of a Messiah. Peter was willing to say to Jesus, You are the Messiah. I see you as the Messiah. I accept you as the Messiah. I don't like the way you go about being Messiah. This isn't the kind of Messiah Peter wanted. It's not the kind of Messiah Peter would have elected. So I love history. And a friend of mine is also a really great armchair historian. And he told me about a Jewish revolutionary who lived about 100 years after Jesus. His name was Simon Barkosova. Bar Kosovo was a leader who rose in popularity in Judea. And one of the greatest rabbis, historian rabbis, living around that time named Rabbi Akiva studied Simon Bar Kosovo. And after careful scrutiny, Akiva said that Simon Bar Kosovo was the Messiah the Jews were hoping for. Akiva actually renamed Bar Kosovo. He named him Simon Bar Kokhba which means Simon, son of the star. It's a reference to Numbers 24. And Bar Kokhba raised an army of 200,000 Jewish fighters. And in the year 132, Bar Kokhba rose up against the Romans and gutted entire legions. Blood flowed everywhere, and the dream of the Messiah amongst the Jewish people was alive and well again. There was hope in Jerusalem. Bar Kokhba was a pretty draconian leader. He was cold-blooded and focused his revolution on anyone who stood in his way, Jew or not, He was feared by pagans and believers alike. They thought he was the Messiah. This is the Messiah that Peter wanted. If it were up to a vote, we might vote for this kind of Messiah because our world, has real problems. And even when we can identify and agree on what those problems are, we have really different ideas about how to address them. And Bar Kokhba seems like the kind of guy that we need. We don't need a Sunday school teacher, we tell ourselves. We need someone who's willing to break a few eggs to make that omelet. We don't need kindness and goodness. We need someone who has the guts to do what has to be done. We want Simon Bar Kokhba. Because wouldn't the world be a better place if we had this kind of Messiah? Wouldn't you want to live in this version of the story? Morality would be legislated and enforced. The dirtiest sins and the dirtiest sinners would be punished. History would be back on track and the story would go the way that we all think it ought to go. Christians wouldn't live on the margins, but right in the center of power and control. We would have God's ends, even if it weren't through God's means. If it means getting everything back on track for God. Let's just make a revolution happen. The truth is many Christians confess Jesus as Messiah, but behave like Simon Bar Kokhba. But listen how Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke. Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. You are a stumbling block before me. You are not thinking about God's story. You are thinking about some distorted story of fallen, broken people. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself the things you think you want. You must pick up your cross and follow me. The person who wants to save his life must lose it. And she who loses her life for me will find it. Jesus wants his disciples to know that the task of the Messiah is to suffer, to be killed and to be raised to life through the power of God. And to be Christian is to behave the way Jesus behaves. To believe the solution to our world's problem are brought by a Messiah who is willing to suffer rather than to conquer. So it falls to us just as it fell to Jesus' disciples to be people who trust that God will raise us to life, which means the cross The cross isn't just an event, it's a blueprint. 58,000 is the number. 58,000 people is the number that Jewish historians believe were killed in the Bar Kokhba revolution. And that's just combatants, that doesn't mean anything for all the people who died of starvation or who died in the wilderness. The Romans gathered themselves, they hunted down all of Bar Kokhba's men and squashed his revolution, but they did more than that. They decided they were never gonna have a revolution again. So they deported Jews from Jerusalem Throughout all of the empire. And they renamed the capital city. They also renamed those places that you're familiar with from reading the scriptures, Syria and Galilee and Judea, and they just called it Palestine, hoping that history would forget the Jewish people. And they renamed Simon Bar Kokhba. And that's how he came to be known as Simon. Bar-kos-siva, which doesn't mean "son of the star, it means "son of the lie. And here's what you need to know, Ecclesia, that when we fall prey to the satanic belief that the world is changed by raw power and coercion, enforcement, that is not of Jesus. That belief is the son of a lie. And that the Jesus we served is not ignorant of the problems that we face. He is not surprised by the people that we are and all the ways we have determined to mistreat and harm one another. And he says, if you want to solve this problem, you take up your cross and follow me. And when you get that tingling sense in your spine, when you want to wield coercive power and force, when you want to make people do what you want them to do, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That is a lie. And it's for that reason that we celebrate the Eucharist together, that we come to the table to remind ourselves that it is through suffering and God's power that transformation of us as individuals and families and as a community and world actually occurs. Let me pray for you. God, help us to join you in the way the Messiah would order the world, not through power and coercion, but through suffering. As difficult as that is, God, We trust, Lord, that we can do, as Paul says, all things through Christ who gives us strength. And we offer this to you in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
5: Ecclesia family, this is the time in our service when we have the opportunity to share in the Lord's table together the Eucharist, communion, If you have your elements together and you're ready, let's read this confessional prayer together. Lord, you have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer a light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was at the Passover meal with his friends. He took bread. broke it he gave it to his disciples and he blessed God he said father thank you for the grain of the field brothers and sisters taste and see that the Lord is good the scriptures also say that when the Passover meal was ended he took a cup again giving thanks to his father thanking him for the fruit of the vine he looked at his disciples and said this is my blood shed for you Each time you drink of this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we thank you for the broken bread and the blood shed. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Father, have peace on us. Amen.
0: Lost everything, bound by death's hollow stain. Does your compassion not extend to me? Where are you? Where are you? solace bring me rest my king even in defiance i'll march on and sing into the valley i will see your peace lay on my chest and bring me No. prepare your shelter when there's nothing left To come home to, mercy shine through Oh, bring me solace, bring me rest, my King Even in defiance I'll march home and sing to the valley I will seek your peace lay on my chest and bring me rest my I'll march on and sing Into the valley I will see Your peace lay on my chest And bring me
1: I'm Haley, I'm gonna pray a quick blessing over our children and our families this week. Will you please join me? Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you will be with these families this week, Lord, that you will bring peace to their home and that you will help them love each other and their neighbors, Lord. I pray that you will prepare us for the season of thanks and that you will give us such a a joy and a love for family and for friends and such such a strange season, Jesus. I pray that you will enter our homes and fill us with gratitude in the next few days, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
6: 1 Thessalonians 5 directs us to give thanks in all circumstances, as this is God's will for us. And so as a benediction, let us confess together our difficulty in doing so. Gratitude, which comes so easily in retrospect, but eludes us in the difficulty of the moment, or the substantial trials of a season such as this. And so, Lord God, we, we ask you to be with us and help us in the days ahead reminding us that the fears, the pains, and disappointments of this trying time, though significant, are temporary. Help us to give thanks for your steadfast love, for your forgiveness and mercy, for the unearned and unearnable gift of your grace, for the opportunity and calling to extend that love to others. May these days be a chorus of thanks to you, the Almighty, even from our voices and instruments which are so often out of tune and out of practice. An imperfect symphony of gratitude we lift to you, amen. So Ecclesia, go forth to love and to serve and to give thanks just as we, our whole team give thanks for you, our Ecclesia family scattered across this city and around the world. We love you, dwell in peace.
4: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information,
0: please visit our website at www.ekthesiahouston.org.